Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet. Each week, I'll be bringing you stories of people living lives of fruitful service, of peace, community, compassion, creative action, and progressive efforts. I'll be tracing the spiritual roots that support and nourish them in their service, hoping to inspire and encourage you to sink deep roots and produce sacred fruit in your own life. Let us sing song for the dreaming of the world That we may dream as one With every voice, with every song We will move this world along Today for Spirit in Action, we're going eight time zones east of Wisconsin to the Baltic state of Estonia. Like most Americans, my knowledge of Estonia is very limited, though being a folk dancer, I at least knew one dance from that country. I was contacted by Leon Miller through my Northern Spirit Radio website about a song he had produced with a group of young Estonian and Russian artists for Peace and Freedom. The exchange with Leon convinced me that there were untapped riches in the spiritual life Leon was leading and in the cultural experience of these two little-known people. So today, I'm taking you on a visit with three teachers from the University of Tallinn, Estonia. Leon Miller is from Pennsylvania, but has been in Estonia for the past seven years now, lecturing on religion and culture and intercultural communication. We'll also talk with Yevgen Bolienka, who is a native of the Ukraine and who's been in Estonia for the past four years, chair of the International Law Department at the University in Tallinn. We'll start out by visiting with Mal Kula Salu. She teaches English at the university and is a born Estonian, raised in the 1950s to the Russian-Soviet domination of her country. As I originally spoke with Leon, I began to realize just how completely ignorant I was of the entire region, having only received the incidental coverage which the U.S. media has granted to the area. I found out that I knew virtually nothing of Estonia's singing revolution. What a concept! Independence by song instead of by guns. The variety of religion was new to me, too, not only the varieties of Eastern Orthodox Christianity, but its association with patriarchs and the historical earth-based spirituality roots. What drew me to Estonia was Leon Miller and his work with Artists for Peace and Freedom, but I had to get my bearings, so I had to detour by talking with Mal and Yevgen, Estonian and Ukrainian respectively, before I could understand Leon and his work. Via the miracles and some limitations of the internet and Skype, I spent a couple of hours visiting with Leon, Mal, and Yevgen. I started by speaking with Mal Kulasalu, who is native Estonian and who teaches, as I've mentioned, English at the University in Tallinn, their capital city. 
Thanks to her superb English, we didn't have to operate through a translator, nor did I have to go into Russian, which is the most common non-native language of Estonia. Mal, welcome, and thanks for joining me for my program, Spirit in Action. Thank you for asking me. You've been born and lived almost all of your life in Estonia? Yes, I I was born in Estonia, and I've always lived in Estonia, and I am an Estonian. Mal, I'm speaking to you because Leon said that you could fill me in on an Estonian point of view about the issues we want to talk about, which include peace, unity, religion, spiritual outlook, and basically mm-hmm. understanding the culture of the Estonian people. So I just want to mm-hmm. invite you to speak about those things and start where you'd care to start. As you probably have understood, I am quite an emotional person, and I would like to start from this very emotional point of view that Estonia is a very small country, and we have our own language and its own piece of land, and this is probably a very emotional thing for all Estonians, which keep us protecting this our language and our culture and our country, If you know where Estonia is, it's between Finland and Russia, let's say so. Geographically, we are a very good place, so it has always been an objective for different countries to conquer us and to have this wonderful piece of land near the sea. I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what culturally makes Estonia different from and maybe similar to the people right on your borders. It seems to me that we are more similar to our Nordic neighbors because we are slower, calmer, less emotional, less energetic, less noisy than our southern neighbors are. So we probably feel closer to Finns, we feel very close to Danes and to Swedes and probably the reason that they have been here and we have uh, learned a lot from their culture As to Russians, they are, let's say, it's a big nation. And big nations are always different. Point number one is that they do not know languages. The small nations always have to learn languages to communicate, to make themselves understandable. But as there are many Russians, and as they have been here as conquerors, as occupants for such a long time, they feel that this part of land also belongs to them, not for us. Are Estonians distinctively different than Latvians or Lithuanians? Are there overlaps in culture and identity there? And food? We are very different from Lithuanians, because Lithuanians go more to Polish nation. They are closer to Poland, and they are closer to Slavic. I, I would say they are Catholics already, thanks to their religion, they are closer to Poland. We are a bit similar to Latvia, but the language is totally different group, the Latvian group, because we belong to Feno-Ugric group. Give me some idea of religious and spiritual background of Estonia. You've clearly made the point already that you're not Catholic. Mostly we are Lutheran, but there is a very big issue. For instance, in my age and all the people who are at my age, they have grown up with any religion at all. 
My mother never took me to the church. She never told me anything. She totally kept me away from the church. But we have always had Christmas at home. We celebrated it in secret because it was not allowed, actually. Even the Christmas trees and Christmas dishes were not sold in the shops. But we kept this tradition as the Lutheran on the 24th of December. But generally, most Onians are Lutheran. They get married in the church, so it is a tradition again. Fifty years of occupation was a very big hole for religion. Are there a lot of churches around, and are they all Lutheran churches? Not all. We also have our Catholic, and we have Russian Orthodox Church, and we have Transfiguration Church, I know, and there are many churches different, but mostly they are Lutheran. Even a new synagogue was just opened in Estonia. So you do have at least Jews and maybe Muslims too, or do they extend up that far? Yeah, we do have Muslims. And I don't think there is any problem with on this religious basis here in Estonia. This is more cultural, although religion is a part of culture, I know. But maybe the people, if you are interested in this issue with Russians and Estonians, the biggest problem is the people without roots. These Russians have traveled here to Estonia to work. They do not have their roots in Russia already, and they have somehow avoided this culture we have here. And now the new generations have grown up without any roots, without any religion, so they actually do not believe in nothing. (laughs) They do not believe in anything. Sometimes it seems to me that's the biggest problem. Leon's concern or one of Leon's important concerns, is about peace and unity. And it seems to me that sometimes individual identity is at the cost of unity. So, for instance, in the United States, we do have states which each have distinctive culture and identity related to the area. Very seldom is that a problem in terms of also identifying as the national identity. What are the challenges and what are the strengths of Estonia as relates to identity in a larger community, uh, which might include maybe Finland or maybe Germany or Russia or whatever? It is a very hard question to answer, (laughs) but... Estonia, of course, aims more to the Nordic countries. Estonia considers itself to be a Nordic country, and Estonia is part of the European Union, and we have always considered us as a part of European culture and as a part of Nordic culture. We actually, Estonians, are not prone to conflicts, or I think it's quite possible to live in peace. And we have always, if you have heard about our singing revolution, and we are able to solve different conflicts without any violence or anything. But there has been a lot of provoking from Russia recently, and probably we have to settle things with Russia first. And to be honest, there is peace in Estonia. (laughs) When you come here, you will see (laughs) there is peace. There's just a few nights when the pressure came out which has been probably in for a very long time. I would really like it if you could tell me and tell my listeners what your experience of the singing revolution was like, because you were alive at the time. You certainly got to see it firsthand. 
<laughs> my experience, unfortunately, it is not how to say a very, very direct experience because I had a baby at that time and I had to stay home. But I watched TV, of course, and I did not attend those meetings. But when you speak about singing revolution, Estonia is very much like singing. We have the singing festivals tradition and is something which makes Estonians cry <laughs> and there are songs which were not allowed to sing when we had our Soviet time here in Estonia and we always try to include these songs in our program of the song festival and we always try to sing these songs because they were against the Soviet power and as it was not allowed to sing, you wanted to sing. And as to the singing revolution, then people started singing those songs in public. More than 100,000 people gathered in the song festival grounds and sang the same songs which had been prohibited for such a long time. And singing and flags, this was the only expression of our feelings and our strive for liberty, what Estonians wanted to achieve. There was no violence, there were even not so many speeches, it was just singing those songs which were very dear to our hearts. And that was the singing revolution. What were the songs about? And could you sing me a, a little bit of one of those songs at least? <laughs> I don't think... <laughs> So, yes, one of them was Be Free, Estonian Country and Estonian Sea. Jävo boksisti meri, jävo boksisti mo. So, this was a song, for instance, which everywhere people wanted to sing. And it was about Estonia, it was about motherland, about fatherland and homeland. So, is Estonia a fatherland or is it a motherland? It depends what we are speaking about, both. You said that Estonian people are pretty much peaceful, that peaceful resolution is the way you like to go. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I think that a fatherland identity is more of a military might idea, whereas motherland is more about nurture. And Leon has made a point when I've spoken to him of mentioning nature spirituality, a connection to nature, connection to land, as being part of the mm -hmm. spirituality of Estonians. Is that your experience? When I start thinking about it, we have our native language called mother language, yeah? And our land called fatherland. But as to Estonians, it seems to me that in our culture, fathers are calmer, and they can always take things more easily than mothers do. So I don't think that fatherland for Estonia could mean anything military. There are religions that have been known as nature religions. Are there special features of the Estonian countryside which especially yeah. touch the hearts of almost all Estonians in a way that I would call spiritual? Yeah, we have our old forests, for instance, where people go. We have a special word, which I don't know. There is a translation in this very old forest, which is called Hees in Estonia. And that's the oak tree, which is very close. And you get your energy for the oak tree, for instance. And Estonia and this oldest religion before we get Christianed. So it was, we had our Taurausk, and it was totally based on the nature so we had our stones which were sacred to Estonians and they still are there. This is something which means more to Estonians maybe even than church sometimes. 
Talk to me about ideas about peace and unity, because, you know, at the same time, having a strong identity, a cultural identity, like Estonian, at the same time that that is a good thing for the heart, when that leads one to say, okay, I'm like this, therefore I'm not with you, I, working with you is difficult. Sometimes that happens with an identity. How does that interplay with the peaceful nature of Estonians? Estonians like to do their own thing, you know, they don't want to be interfered and they don't like to interfere with the others. This is the best way which Estonians would like. But actually the world globalizing and I would say that it is impossible to do your own thing only, but you always have to consider the others and I think this is the only way we can just have peace in this world. We have to work together and collaborate. I think you know that Leon has a special concern for peace and unity, and so he focuses on it not only in his teaching, but in his work outside the university. What do you think of his work and its value and its need in your society? I do think that we need this kind of thing in our society very much because it provides the same peace and balance. And and when we speak about Leon, so he is the nicest, the calmest man I have ever met. And I can never imagine anybody who he could have conflict with. Or So I think this is what we would really need in this country. But I don't think our people could have this inner balance or, or this inner peace which he has achieved in his mind. So it, it's incredible. What is the outlook in, in Estonian? You said that Estonian people are relatively peaceful. What do they think about military might? Do people look up to someone who goes in the military to protect the fatherland or the motherland, if that's the case? (laughs) Actually, Estonian boys do not want to go to the army, and they do whatever they can to avoid the army. And as it was, Russian army for two years, and it was really hard, so I think this kind of tradition of avoiding going to the army dates back to this Russian time. It's only eight months here in Estonia, but most of the young men do not want to go. They say that it will spoil their career and they would rather work. But of course, after what happened in April, this kind of patriotism has increased. And I have heard that many young men are ready to fight for their fatherland and they would like to join the army now. That was Mal Kulasalu, an Estonian native, speaking about her country and some of the issues of peace and freedom of the Estonian people. Mal teaches English at the university in Estonia's capital, Tallinn. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I'm your host for this Northern Spirit radio production called Spirit in Action. The spirit that drew me to learn about Estonia is that involved in the work of Leon Miller. Leon's been in Estonia for 12 years now, teaches religion and culture and intercultural communications at the University in Tallinn, and does additional work in the community related with the International Association for Religious Freedom. Mal was very helpful to give me some sense of the people and culture of Estonia, but it also seemed helpful to visit with someone more involved with the overarching legal issues which influence peace and justice issues so powerfully. 
So before I actually talk to Leon, I'm going to take one more detour and visit with Yevgen Tsbolyanka. Yevgen is a chair of the International Law Department at the university where both Maul and Leon teach, and he's native of Ukraine. He's been in Estonia for the past four years and brings an international understanding, also from a former partner of the Soviet Union, to the situation on Russia's fringe. Via the Internet and Skype, I asked Yevgen about what he's witnessed personally and drawing on his international law expertise as the Soviet Union dissolved with the reemergence of the individual nations. I'm 34 years old, and actually, at the time of collapse of Soviet Union, I was studying in Moscow. So basically, I was involved in all these processes, and right after the collapse of the Soviet Union, I came back to the Ukraine. So actually, yes, I remember that events quite good. I also remember Soviet Union quite well. Do you think of yourself primarily as a Ukrainian as opposed to something else. Uh, some people, their main identity would not necessarily be their nation. It might be their religion. It might be their social class. It might be the color of their skin. So for you, what are your important identities? Well, I think that the fact that I'm Ukrainian is definitely important for my identity. I could not say that it's only one point of my identity but uh, nationality is important of course because nationality is always related to the culture to the perception of the world to the religion and certain meaning also well i could not say that i'm a very religious person but still any religion has certain uh, relation to the nation history especially in ukraine where we have a lot of different religions Christianity, but we have Russian Orthodox of Moscow Patriarchate, Orthodox of Kiev Patriarchate, we have Orthodox who are affiliated to Constantinople, when we have Greek Catholics, Rome Catholics. Finally, we also have quite big Tatar minority in Crimea for Muslims. So Ukraine actually it's quite multicultural and multi-religious country. That's why Ukrainians probably always were a very tolerant nation and very hospital nation. You are the chair actually of the international law department there at the university. Your perspective is an international perspective as opposed to a single nation perspective. What would make for better peace opportunities? to coexist peacefully, uh, Ukraine, Estonia, Russia, what would make that possible, and what are the difficulties in having that peace preserved? I believe that there are no such problems between democratic states. I believe that Estonia and Ukraine are democratic states, as well as all European Union countries. That's why usually we do not have any problems with Europe or between Ukraine and Estonia. The main problem still is actually our big neighbor from the East Russian Federation. problem is that despite certain hopes that after the collapse of Soviet Union, Russia will become democratic state, now we can see that 
Unfortunately, it's not the case. During the Yeltsin period, there was a lot of features of democratic state in Russia. Still, it was not fully democratic, but at least it was some hope and desire, let's say, of Russian politicians to make Russia a real democratic state. But now then, Putin took power, basically. Now we can see that Russia became an authoritarian, if not totalitarian state again. And as I know Russia almost perfectly, I can follow Russian news. I can see that rhetoric is absolutely came back to the Russian media. Sometimes they have such a deja vu feeling, you know. If you read Russian newspapers, you know, you can find there that NATO in general and the United States in particular are the main enemies. They only dream to occupy Russia because Russia have big oil resources which are much bigger than in Iraq and the only one aim in Iraq was to get oil, of course, according to Russian media, as you know. The only one chance to Russia not to be occupied by Americans to have a strong and good army and all that stuff you know and it's really scary you know Russian politicians uh, have this old school of Soviet Union and they believe that finding of external enemy is the best way to consolidate the nation inside and because of that if you check the history of last three or four years you will see that Russia spoiled relation almost with all their neighbors so they had crises with Ukraine with Georgia with Latvia this very recent one with Estonia so basically only authoritarian regimes in foreign Soviet Union states who clearly follow Russian policy and join Russia in totalitarianism like Kazakhstan, for example, only that countries are considered as a true friends of Russia. So actually, I think it's quite alarming signals for everybody, and I think that international community should be a little bit more tough regarding Russian Federation nowadays, because developments are really, really bad. We can see that almost every day Russian skinheads kill somebody on the streets, and another part of Russian society as a members of a jury in the court very often believe that these people are not guilty and just liberate them. Yevgen filled in some more of the background to the conflicts in the region. In particular, he highlighted the disastrous impact of Russia on the satellite states in terms of deportations and an almost unthinkable scale of political killings many, many millions, exceeding even the number killed by Germany in World War II. One of the fears of the satellite states, like Estonia and Ukraine, is that while Germany was repentant of the war afterwards, Russia has never apologized for the widespread devastation it carried out on its neighbors. I asked Shevkin what was blocking reconciliation between Russia and its neighbors. Ukrainians and Estonians are ready to forgive Russians, but to get forgiveness, Russians should ask for that. We could not forgive somebody who never asked for forgiveness, I believe. That's the main problem. As a professor of international law, I assume you think your profession can help make things better. What is the solution to keep things peaceful and to make for a more harmonious relationship in that area of the world? As an international lawyer, of course, I could say that the best way just to follow international law in all affairs, but as we can see, it's probably too idealistic. Yevgen is, it was obvious, 
deeply concerned about the current situation surrounding Russia. His was clearly not an optimistic assessment. I asked him about his views about religion and the role that it played in peace and war in the Ukraine and the region. Definitely, religion has a great potential to promote peace and understanding between people, even if it's different religions. Uh, what is much more dangerous if religion uses a political tool, which we can clearly see with Orthodox Church of Moscow Patriarchate, which was actually it was Stalin idea who started to use Russian Orthodox Church as a tool during the Second World War. You know that. Before the Second World War, church was almost destroyed in Russia. But during the Second World War, the situation was critical. Stalin decided to reinstall church. Of course, it was only Russian Orthodox Church. All other confessions were severely suppressed. But Russian Orthodox Church, under the full control of Soviet Union, was re-established, and it has very close ties to KGB. And actually, you know, it was always in traditions of uh, Russia, even before Soviet Union, during the Russian Empire, that uh, Russian Church was considered not as a separate institution, but as a part of Russian state. And we can see nowadays that uh, nothing really changed in Russia, so now... Russian church is still used uh, by Russian state as an instrument of influence, including in the neighboring states. Uh, uh, in Estonia, situation may be a little bit different because in Estonia, majority of population Lutherans. That's the main problems. I believe that if church will not be used as element of state policy, and if church will be run by people who really believe and who really follow the, the values of the religion, in that case, it will be purely a peaceful tool which will help to, to solve problems between people truly live in that. But in any religion, Christianity and Islam, you can find a lot of things which contradict one to another. Problem is that different people can find provisions which will support their own ideology. And of course, there are always people like that who will use these controversies to, to support probably the most horrible acts which we can commit. Actually, it's regardless of kind of religion. In any religion, you can find such a possibility. The question is that I think in every religion there are common core that you should behave in such a way that you expect others will behave regarding you. I think if everybody will follow this idea, probably our world will be much better place than now. Yevgen, is there some hope that your profession, international law, is actually going to bring about peace. I'm trying to understand if you see of yourself as some kind of a peace worker or maybe more as a justice worker or maybe you're just trying to make money and have a living. I don't know. Do you see yourself as doing peace work as an international law expert? It's a good question, of course. Well, first of all, I should say that my academic career was working for the Red Cross for almost seven and a half years. 
Well, definitely, I believe that humanitarian values for me are very important. So I could definitely believe that I'm a humanitarian worker, even if I teach now, I still have very good relations with the Red Cross. I very often invited as an external expert, as a lecturer for different Red Cross events. So it's definitely one part of my life. Another part of my life, justice. Well, peace, justice, you know, many people mistakenly believe that international law is only regarding the establishment of peace. It's one of the probably most important tasks of the international law, but the task of only one branch of international law, which is the law of international security. But international Law is much broader. International law, it's diplomatic law, it's law of the air, law of the sea, uh, law of telecommunications, and so on and so forth, even space law nowadays. And all that spheres effectively work and help people. Unfortunately, I can only include a small portion of what Yevgen had to share with me about the political and legal situation as he observes it. I asked Yevgen about the Estonian singing revolution and whether in the Ukraine, his birthplace, it seemed likely that they could find it in themselves to respond nonviolently to aggression, like that coming sometimes from Russia. Well, we also have Orange Revolution. Just a few years ago, if you remember, it was also absolutely peaceful one, and it was also a lot of singing there. So I think in that sense, Ukrainians and Estonians are quite similar. And the last events when we have this horrible parliamentary crisis, you remember that in Russia, for example, in 1993, then was more or less similar events. It was finished by tanks in Moscow fire into the parliament building. Meanwhile, in Ukraine, we basically achieved more or less the same result without any blood shaking. So I think that, you know, such peaceful approach is absolutely fit to Ukrainian mentality. Ukrainians are a very peaceful and hospital nation in general. And in that respect, we are very similar to, to Estonians, I think. I think you are aware, Yevgen, of some of the work that Leon's doing, not only as a teacher there, but in his work in the community. He's very concerned for peace and unity and finding ways to connect people culturally and with mutual regard. What have you seen of that work, and what do you think of it? Is it helpful? What do you see of that work? I should say that Leon probably absolutely amazing person and definitely what he's doing here it's absolutely outstanding job because indeed he's uh, involved in such different activities that you can hardly imagine that you know he's involved in teaching of tai chi and yoga and he playing different instruments and he can actually go to the old city and play right there on the street and you know it's absolutely amazing because when i meet some people my friends or just any people I've met, and then I'm saying that I'm from Odentus University. They say, oh, you have this nice guy who plays saxophone or <laughs> teach Tai Chi, you know. It, it's amazing, but it seems that everybody in Tallinn knows him, you know. <laughs> uh, indeed, I think that such a people with such, uh, you know, sincere communication skill, 
uh, they can help to improve our world definitely. But what is important that these communication skills should be sincere, and it's exactly the case with Leon because when you talk to him, you can feel this uh, his soul which is rich and. You can see that all these ideas about peace and environment that goes from the bottom of his heart, and, and people can feel that. That was Yevgen Spulienka, chair of the Department of International Law at the University in Tallinn, Estonia. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and this is Spirit in Action, a Northern Spirit Radio production. We were speaking with Yevgen, and before that with Mal Kulasalu, both teachers at the same university in Tallinn, where Leon Miller teaches religion and culture and international communications. It's really a peace and justice ministry which has kept Leon working in Estonia the past 11 years, including his work outside the university with some Estonian and Russian artists for peace and justice. Leon contacted me some months ago to share a song that he created with these young artists, and that's how I started learning about what Leon had been doing with Estonia and for the world. The main vocals are Leon. The song is Come to Paradise. See the true love is what becomes our plight. So baby, come on, baby, trust and love. Then you'll see our paradise is in our sight. You'll feel like springtime every day, boy. You'll feel like springtime every night. Come along with me. Come to this place called person you always want to be really seeing those things you always want to see waking up every morning just feeling carefree so you know you'll be hoping this here will always be so come on take the step and let our joy begin you'll find a paradise that will never ever end if you put your trust in love and let it be our guiding light you'll find that we are destined to be in paradise
that was Come to Paradise, with Leon Miller and an assortment of young Estonian and Russian artists. Well, I've kept you waiting long enough. It's time to meet Leon Miller and learn from him firsthand and via Skype and the Internet about the work that he's been doing in Estonia. Leon, I'm so glad that you contacted me here, all the way from Estonia, and I thank you for introducing me to your friends Mal and Yevgen there from the university. Would you tell our listeners how you got to Estonia? It's a little bit off the beaten track from Pennsylvania where you started. How did you end up there and why are you there? I was studying at the University of Chicago Cluster of Theological Seminary, attempting to get established in ministry, peace and social concerns ministries friend of mine at the seminary from Estonia, right after independence, decided to study in ministry and get established in the church here in Estonia. That friend and I talked about Estonia, the passion that Estonia has for peace and freedom. And that passion is very deep historically, thousands of years deep. Accompanied with that is a an artistic approach to a struggle for peace, and so a completely peaceful approach. My friend talked about the singing revolution, people holding hands, hand to hand, and singing about their desire to be free. I found all of this very attractive, and maybe the final straw for me was when I heard the president of Estonia was an artist. That all really impressed me. When you headed there, What did you want to do, and what are you doing, in fact? Now, that's another side of the story, because in Chicago, I was working to get established in ministry. But clearly, my path was uh, public ministry or peace and social concerns ministry. Also at the time, the primary path into ministry was parish ministry, congregational ministry. And so much of the advice I was getting at the time was the whole organizational structure of ministry was through congregational ministry. And once you're established as a congregational minister, then you could do a specialized ministry. When I heard about the opportunity of coming to Estonia, I thought that this would be um, frontier, so to speak, and that I would have a chance to develop a ministry here without the organizational restraints I would have to face in America. And so this was another part of my coming. I wanted to work on behalf of the International Association for Religious Freedom to explore using faith as ways to further explore and develop concerns about peace and freedom, this discussion of the history between Estonians and Russians, knowing that uh, there are parts of that history that needed to be reconciled. So I saw the potential for very significant ministry, public ministry, being done here in Estonia. What are you specifically doing as work? I mean, you've got a position at the university, so that's one thing, Leon, but what about the work that you're doing outside of the university? How are you promoting peace and unity in the kind of concrete ways that you live your life? Well, my work at the university is the primary source of what sustains my lifestyle. But in addition to that, over the entire time I've been here, I do volunteer work for the International Association for Religious Freedom. And much of what that has involved the entire time is bringing youth together, especially young people, uh, Russian and Estonian young people together into a human relations dialogue. And we've also done numbers of artistic-type projects, performing arts-type projects, just showing a model of unity and presenting a statement of the benefits 
of cooperating together and it creates an improved art product and improved benefits for society. In addition to that, I've been able to reach people on concepts of holistic approaches to growth by teaching Tai Chi and yoga here in Estonia. And that has played an important part in balancing my life, what I do at the university intellectually, and what I do teaching Tai Chi and yoga to balance that with some physical activity. Could you tell me about some of the specific art projects that you've done? Well, you might be surprised to hear me say that we've done a type of not exactly folk dance, but something on the basis of folk dance and inviting people from the different uh, faith traditions to participate in this. Kind of uh, dances making a statement of peace and unity, racial unity, putting an end to ethnic strife. Then very recently, we've put together a film project with dance again, musicians, vocalists, dancers, film artists, all working together to create a very visible model of working together as artists collaborating to create a model of unity. But aside from that, I should have mentioned that we've been very active in the past in World Religions Day, doing a very creative artistic performance uh, type celebration of world religions every year when there's the UN World Religions Day. So this has been another aspect of trying to create an interfaith ecumenical dialogue and interactions. This International Association for Religious Freedom, is the idea that people should be able to choose their religions or that they should coexist? What is the purpose of the organization which you're working for then? If I talk about religious freedom from the perspective of, uh, let's say, an Estonian sentiment, it's that when I first came to Estonia, when I first began to interact with Estonians, I would make some type of ideological statement. And then right away, an Estonian would say, have you considered the other point of view or uh, the opposite point of view or another way of looking at things? And sometimes I would even see them playing the devil's advocate, whether or not they believed in an alternative point of view. So I think the role of religious freedom or promoting religious freedom in Estonia means making available the opportunity to be familiar with the different perspectives on looking at how to enrich your spiritual life or your inner life. But in addition to that, I think there's a clearly cultural type that's Estonian, a cultural um, heritage that's Estonian. And because Estonian culture has been interfered with for maybe at least a thousand years or more, this uh, cultural integrity has been overshadowed by outside interference. And when freedom came some 11, 12, 15 years ago, one of the first interests that Estonians had was to be able to develop or explore and express the cultural heritage, the integrity of the culture. But what came along with that immediately was also the need to integrate with Western Europe. So this is then again another union that they're faced with having to join. There was actually a clear split in the sentiments of the population here that some people felt that the very best thing for Estonia would be just to be left alone and to do some soul-searching, so to speak, for Estonians to come to grips with their own identity. Then there was another segment of the population that recognized the need to integrate Western Europe. So my claim is that these two things have to coincide that if Estonia is going to progress as a society, it has to do that based on some clear sense of spiritual identity. 
my religious training says that the development of any society, it's based on its power of spirituality. This is what gives vitality to the culture. I might add, Mark, that I think what's important when I understand this uh, heritage of uh, the Sionian cultural identity, that part of it is based on nature, so a very deep and sincere ecological consciousness or concern for protection of the environment. But then coupled with that are concerns for peace that are extremely deep, passionate, and concerns for freedom. So my dream is that if we continue to develop these things as a statement of religious freedom, protection of religious freedom, and share these things with Western Europe and the rest of the world, and share these things through performing arts and cultural arts, Estonia itself will discover that it has a rich heritage that uh, has a lot of elements that can make uh, very important contributions to the rest of the world. I understand from Mal that there's universal conscription there of young men, I guess not of young women, but it's not a militaristic society? (laughs) No, I would say not in the least. There's not the least bit of evidence of what I would say resistance to these foreign occupations. There's some historical records of some resistance movements and some resistance efforts. But recalling a film that I saw, a popular film, was maybe a holiday when Estonian television broadcast a popular film about the Estonian resistance movements. You have to imagine that there was a crusade pronounced against Estonia, one of the few crusades undertaken in Europe. And the intention of that crusade was to convert the pagans. And so then you have these order of knights coming, representing the cross, the church, to conquer, to convert the pagans. And here are the Estonians standing as an opposition movement. And when they were confronted with each other face to face, the Estonians began to sing. This might be just a very contemporary way of making a statement about Estonian resistance, Estonian peace movements. But when the Estonians then in this film recognized that the conquerors were not impressed with their music and their singing approach to independence, they all dispersed and ran uh, to to hide in the woods. I'd like to hear a little bit more about your background, Leon, because it seems you bring both a wonderful worldview but an amazing diversity of gifts there. Your friends have already spoken about your teaching Tai Chi and yoga and singing music around the city, and here you're teaching religion and culture at the university. So who are you and how did you get there? Uh, what, what, are, do you have a, a specific religious identity? You didn't uh, evidently go to Estonia to try and convert everybody to be whatever your particular brand of religion is. My affiliation right now is with the Unitarian Universalist Association, and the International Association for Religious Freedom is an affiliate of the Unitarian Universalist Association. So actually part of my intentions for coming here to work on behalf of that organization was to gain ministry credentials through the Unitarian Universalist Association. When I was in seminary in Chicago, the Unitarian Universalist Seminary, Meadville Lombard, I wrote a graduate thesis on performing arts as a way of doing ministry. And I uh, addressed this theme as a way of doing prophetic ministry, a way of gaining a voice that could be heard publicly. 
and performing arts, I thought was a very contemporary way of doing that. But I think for Estonia especially, it's fitting because it's not a kind of a dogmatic approach to sharing ideas or belief claims. What people are impressed with is the art, not the ideas. And the art is intended to awaken something of the exceptional in the person. And most times or often when a person responds to good art, they're able to interpret the value of that art for themselves. But what the artist intends to do is just awaken a sentiment within the person. I would call this uh, something that lies deep within the subconscious of all of us, something that goes back through our religious traditions to the initial stages of human existence, what Carl Jung calls a type of species consciousness. My intention with art, I believe what good art intends to do, is to awaken that universal consciousness, that deep subconscious impulse that's within all humans and bring that to a level where a person can experience that on a conscious level. And that was my thesis at Chicago. But if I jump back from Chicago back to my early impressionable years, I think there are two things that dominate what uh, were primary influences on me. One was the church. The church was kind of a sheltering organization for me uh, during the earliest parts of my life, in some respects was sheltered from the um, harsh outer reality. And sometimes when I, I think about my background in the church, I think about a realization that I had at that early stage in my life, that some people were going to the nightclubs, uh, some people were going to music concerts, some people were going to the discos, to find a certain type of emotion or spiritual expression that these places could provide. I was convinced that religious people could find that same type of uh, emotional satisfaction in the church. So it's just another way of finding what the New Testament describes as the moving of the waters. And there's something special that happens when the Spirit comes down and the, there's a movement of the waters. And if you happen to be there at that right time and right place that you feel this uh, experience. That, for me, was what the church represented in my life. But an equally balanced part of that, for me, was another aspect of the church training, and that took place with American friends, with Quakers. At a very early stage in my life, I got involved in peace and social justice activities with Quakers. Part of that meant performing, but a part of it also learning how to use music as a tool for addressing social issues. So what's sometimes called this Pennsylvania Trilogy, uh, from the Quakers through the Pennsylvania Dutch, this uh, was a very important part of what shaped my early impressions. The simplicity, the inner search, or the reliance on your inner voice, these were all important things that shaped my early impressions of uh, spirituality. When you say the church growing up, were you raised Unitarian Universalist? No, actually the complete opposite extreme. I was raised Seventh-day Adventist, and the Seventh-day Adventist Church gave to me very important things that I think play a, a part of my life today. Uh, one was nature. I understood that uh, an appropriate worship activity would be either to be in the congregation with fellow believers or to go out in nature and to commune with nature. And so we spent a significant amount of time as a religious community in nature as well as uh, worshiping in congregations. 
connected with that also, another aspect of that training was uh, the belief that there is no conflict between science and religion. Truth cannot be in conflict with truth. So I always saw these as compatible, but also this need to develop yourself or this uh, encouragement to develop yourself spiritually and intellectually and to keep a balance there. So all of these were important aspects of what I grew up with as a youth also. Is there a UU congregation somewhere back in the U.S. which is keeping you as kind of a sojourning member abroad? No. My last... UU membership at home was at the university, what's called the, it's a community church, but it's called the university church. I was active in that church, had friends and um, some mentoring. But there is no UU fellowship here. This was actually one of the opportunities that attracted me to Estonia, the chance to establish one of the first UU presents here in Estonia. The arts that you've helped put together. You've shared with us one song that you produced as part of the group. Are there other songs or media that you could share with me that I can pass on as part of this program? We're working on a second piece of music right now. This is actually more of a pop flavor with the teenagers. But then right after this, I'd like to produce a piece of music called Nation That's On The Rise. This will be much more of a folk flavor. My ultimate commitment is to try to take elements of Estonian folk music and present them in a way of try to popularize them a little bit and present or share elements of Estonian culture with the wider audience. Well, I know you've got to run off to an appointment. It's getting late-ish for you, isn't it? (laughs) Thanks for speaking to us across the eight or so time zones. And 11 years of dedication there already and more coming up. It's so neat that you can be at that crossroads at that important place. I pray that your life is safe and that the seeds that you are planting and help nurture bear great fruit. Thank you. Peace of God be with you. Thanks so much, Leon. That was my main guest for today's Spirit in Action program, Leon Miller who's been doing peace and religious freedom work in Estonia these past 11 years. And he was preceded by two co-workers at the university in Tallinn, Estonia, Mal Kulasalu in English and Yevgen Spulianka in international law. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. This Spirit in Action program is an effort of Northern Spirit Radio. You can listen to our programs and find links and information about us and our guests on our website, northernspiritradio.org. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Mark Helpsmeet, and I welcome your comments and stories of those leading lives of spiritual fruit. May you find deep roots to support you and grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice